are back on the pod in a different setting with the famous Luke Blue-Eyed BC. Now, if you don't know who he is, where have you been? <laughs> welcome. Wow. What, what welcome. <laughs> Guys, so the famous Blue-Eyed BC on the Resilience pod at the night before the BCI world. Yes. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. It's been a busy news week. Uh, yeah. for, for me personally, um, but uh, some some key sort of career milestones ticked after this. But yeah, it's not. It's been a long time actually since people are. Has anyone referred to me as Blue Eyed BC? As the uh, uh, in that Twitter handle that's been around for a while. When I was talking about grassroots, <laughs> uh, <laughs> grassroots stuff in business continuity. But it's nice. It's nice to know it's still out there. Yeah, and he exists. So if you didn't. You see all his social media posts, all his blog, which mm. it's been a while. Um, you were quite anonymous first, weren't yes. you? Yeah. So we've got the real Luke here, and I'm excited to quiz you. Yeah. Um, so we don't have the mood book today, but Luke's going to tell us how he's feeling anyway. Well, I'm feeling happy. It's been. A, I'm down in London. I'm going to get my first eight hours sleep that I've had <laughs> in four years because uh, my children do not sleep. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm excited to meet everybody down here and ask some difficult questions and be a sort of positive disruptor while I'm down here. I mean, that's no surprise, is it? No, that's pretty much what I've made a career out of so far, to be honest. So there you go. Yeah. Do enjoy this episode because we've got some interesting questions to ask him. So mm-hmm. be happy, Luke. I'll be happy. <laughs> okay. Hey, Luke. Back to basics. Mm-hmm. Fast right, forward, rewind rather, a couple of years. A couple of years. Your first job, what was it? Wow. So there's a story behind this, right? I, uh, I, went, to, um, I went to university to do, biz- uh, well, I went to do emergency planning and disaster management. Okay. And um, one of the first modules in the, in, in the course was to go away to, out to an outreach course in Wales to do mountain rescue and leadership. Oh. And so I went to get all my gear, and uh, I walked into the shop nearby the university, and there was a graduate guy there, and he sent me looking for my sleeping bag and you know my waterproofs, <laughs> and he was like, "Are you on the uh, disaster management course?" And uh, yeah, very bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and he said, um, "Get out of it now. There's no jobs in emergency planning and business continuity." He says, "I'll work here," and I just graduated, and I was like, "Oh no." So I had a huge panic attack. I know, I had a huge panic attack. And then I went to, I went straight home. And then pretty much for about a solid six months, I called every single local authority, fire service, police station. Give me some work. Free work. I'll do it for free. I'll drive to you. I'll do anything. Okay. And eventually there was a couple of guys, um, Andy Marshall, who's now at um, Rolls-Royce as a resilience uh, space there. And also... Um, Pete Jones from the Staffordshire Fire Service um, did the Staffordshire Civil Contingencies Unit, which is a mouthful. Yes. And basically, they gave me a summer internship, and they needed some work done on their, one of their major incidents plans relating to mass fatality. Wow. And they they made me well, they asked me to, and I willingly obliged because I needed the CV. Um, call around every single funeral parlour and every single mortuary in the county to find out. Uh, what their storage capacities and processes were, and I had, and that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But it actually was okay because yeah. the the biggest challenge of that job was to call up people cold and say, "Hi, it's Luke from the Staffordshire Civil Contingencies Unit," and they'd say, "Who? Right. <laughs> the Staffordshire <laughs> Civil Contingencies <laughs> Unit?" Okay. I did that about three hundred times to get data. And you're doing uh, this for free. And I did that for free, okay. and then um, off the back of that, they they let me go to a few. Um, local resilience forum groups and I met some people and then off the back of that I got um, a local community hospital said Luke you're very proactive can you want to come and do our we're good with the major incident plans would you like to do our business continuity plans and I did and then that the rest is history really and that's how it started yeah so actually that's quite cool because you someone saying to you there's no jobs in emergency yeah and just put you right into action yeah it was interesting at the university though because I came to university only a couple of years later and I found that 
everybody just seemed to expect that they were going to walk into sort of 80 grand jobs right away oh, right. Like not get out of bed for anything less than that and it seemed a bit bizarre to me because I actually I had a, a brief foray into the, the Navy all I ever wanted to do was be in the Royal Navy when I was oh, a little boy okay. and see cadets and scouts and everything and um, that as soon as I got there and got beyond all the basic training I quickly realised that wasn't where I was meant to be and so I came out and had to restart again so I was a couple of years behind my mates when yeah. I started uni my pals had all graduated so I had a couple of years insight and the fear of failing after university because of that actually made uh, made me think twice I was very proactive throughout my entire degree I, I think I clocked up in a three and a half year course I clocked up about 18 months worth of internship time Wow. I just did not stop it took every opportunity around I mean that's pretty impressive and actually leads me to a question I was going to ask you a bit later on is tips for newbies um, who, who are actively either studying this field or yeah, who haven't but want to shift into it something similar to what you've done where you've been mm. really proactive is that something it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good question and I, I bet it's on the, on the tips of, of, the, of the tons of Every single uh, junior professional currently going through their undergraduates and postgrads. Yeah. I've talked to, I've presented to Coventry University and Glasgow Caledonia University a couple of times, and I've had a few of us students from other uh, programs reach out to me more recently. And that's the same question I get asked all the time: is that what do I do? Well, how do I get into this? And I can give a piece of advice, but it actually it has to be caveat. There has to be a caveat with that. And it's, um, first advice is be proactive, get out there. No one's going to help your career more than yourself. Uh, make a disruption, much like yourself, in what you're doing right now. Yeah. The, it's, it's, um, you have to be a positive disruption to the industry to contribute. You're not always going to like what they, what they say back to you. And a part of this journey for me personally is I've had some very difficult conversations and some negative press uh, off the back of it. But they, um, I, I found that you have to put yourself out there, but also deal with the consequences of it. Yeah. And that seems to be, and this is where the caveat comes in, this seems to be the stumbling block for a lot of junior professionals. The fear of looking like foolish or stupid or uh, being in the wrong place, it might be career limiting. That's, um, that's a real, and that's not just unique to BC or resilience no. or anything. That's, yeah, that's, that's a common, like I met a guy uh, recently and um, uh, just, just a, a networking session and I said, uh, how you doing? He's like, busy, busy. I was like, are you? And he goes, well, I've got to say that, haven't I? After a few beers, he said. Uh, and I was like, well, do, you, do you have to say you're busy? Like, really? That, that why, why is it already at a graduate phase? Are we already learning to like, be busy, yeah. sort of dis- flatter and deceive about what it is that we're doing? Um, but yeah, so if you can, be big and brave and put yourself out there. Put yourself in front of the screen. Yes. Put your, hide yourself behind, behind an anonymous blog for a few you years. Are and then, well, and famous, so. um, yeah. yeah, you've really Anything. got to do it. I think that's, that's the key. Yeah. And th- then there comes a time where you'll happily expose yourself. <laughs> so it's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah people, yeah. The, the curiosity of being anonymous, of course, is that it's... Yeah. Um, especially the sort of more experienced professionals yeah definitely wanted to know who I was who's this person saying things Um, and that was more than what I was saying actually to start with Um, but yeah eventually when I I came out to the world and said this this is me they um, it really did split down the middle there was a, a half of the community that were listening at the time were saying oh finally someone said it someone's the representative younger voice in the community the other half were saying this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't met the right people. He hasn't had the right conversations. Um, he's. I wasn't political enough. I was. So that that's a that, that's a challenge that I've faced, and which you may well face yourself if you decide to go the same way. But we're in a different world now. Yeah, we are. Uh, people are much more braver than they were previously. So maybe it was just just a little window, and everyone <laughs> else can progress. Maybe, but we're yet to see that, aren't we? So yes. blog. Okay. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about what that is. And guys, if you don't know what that is, I don't know where you've been. What prompted you to start that um, and then be anonymous? I was scared. Okay. I was really I was scared of looking, uh, looking silly and looking... There were so many... The thing about the business continuity, emergency planning industry, um, from even just as far as sort of 10 years ago, it was dominated by like close to retired strong white men and it was terrifying even from a young sort of 
trainee in that. I mean, I am the archetype of the of the uh, of the of the current situation, which needs to change massively. Uh, but it was terrifying, and so I I hid behind it. I won't be ashamed to admit that because I was very frustrated. Okay. Uh, I used to I used to write some of the early stuff. I used to write when I read back, I thought, "Wow, Luke was very angry." Mm. But um, that was because I. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted the answers. I was frustrated. I felt like I couldn't get it from the the institutes and the organisations that were available. And uh, I said a lot of things just to vent to start with. It was initial venting, and then it then it progressed the yeah. But actually, at that time, um, there wasn't much out there. You'd have to pay for every single bit of information you wanted on BCM. Yeah. It was highly driven by consultancy work so when we first met the hands were tied weren't they Thinking. yeah but i used to read your blog yeah because i people read to... it people yeah. people still buy it and i go to universities and they i give them a free copy and say and i do get some i, I have a remarkable amount of undergraduates still that reach out to me uh, which is which is quite telling i quite enjoy that so yeah. they it, clearly what i experienced regardless of sector is um is part of the course. It's just a dance you've got to go through. But nobody's, nobody in our space has really written it down and been as candid as perhaps yeah. I have. Yeah, well, there's always controversy. But like your advice, I think it's good to put yourself out there and say what you think. Because yeah. other people are thinking it anyway. They're just waiting for that one person. Yeah. And it might as well be you because... Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think so. And it reaps its rewards, doesn't it? So sometimes it does. As I say, you have to. I think the best advice I could give to anybody who's, who's watching this just now is is, is be prepared to be criticised and just have an extra layer of skin. The people that are perhaps um, they're challenging your ideas and some of your philosophies or some of your frustrations is because they're in their own comfort zone and they 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 feel that. Um, the people that are quick to write a challenging comment on whatever it is you've posted, or whatever, whether it's a blog or a, uh, some LinkedIn article or something, you've got to you've got to be prepared for a couple of discerning voices, and that that's a challenge I think for a lot of people because we all just want to be liked at the end of the day, and, and you're never going to please everyone. No, and that's not your true authentic self, and that's what we're at the Resilience Project are, are all about. The realness. Yes. Did you then you were anonymous in this blog, mm -hmm. BYBC. At what point did you think now I need to tell the world that it's me, Luke Bird? I think it just got to a point where I was confident enough about what it okay. was I was uh, I, I was writing about. It started about the original journey. I mean, the whole the ebook that I put out on Amazon was is basically a collection of the most read blogs, and it takes a sort of chronological path through my initial entry into the field. It's actually like just it, as I say, people still buy it, and people still people still ask for it, and you know you don't make amazing amounts of money on Amazon like Kindle and things like that, but you know it's nice to see that people yeah. are still interested, yeah, and people were were curious because it started the journey was I was looking for a mentor I was looking for guidance I was seeking help I was frustrated uh, and then it moved into actually let's be more proactive then what's it like to be in an incident I'd been involved in a few like hot incidents at that point and yeah. I started to observe some of the things that happened and I thought if, if you're a new person into this field regardless of age you're you're going to you're going to find yourself having to go into these incidents, you're working in business continuity, sooner or later the lights are going to go out and you're going to have to understand. And it, it dawned on me during a couple of different sessions when we were doing during live exercises and incidents when working in the hospitals, that when you see the whites of someone's eyes and the decision making, it, it, it gives you such clarity. And that gave me the confidence then to start writing about, well, what kind of incident responder are you? Yeah. What, how, do you how do you respond to these things? What's a work area recovery situation like? What's, when, all these words and terminologies, I was trying to decipher it to make everything more accessible. And that's been the key theme ever since. Whatever it is we talk about, all the jargon, all the three-letter acronyms, everybody hides behind. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about making this stuff accessible. And that's, that's, that's my, main, my main key theme the entire time. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I like that. We have another award winner. <laughs> I mean, I, it's How many not, have you had? It's not, it's not, I'm not Gather conscious. Award I know, I just, I just hang around with award winners. You're a groupie, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, just, it's just these famous people yeah. that I've seen her, I seen her loitering outside the time when I won an award, yeah. which is like, please, 
be my friend. I exposed him, so and then he's willingly come on the pod, so... I am more than willing. Yeah, so you won, newcomer. Yes. And then global yes. as well. What? How amazing is that? So tell That's us great. a bit mm. more about flashback to that journey. Um, and that was when we first met as well, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it so, was. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Tell, tell our audience about that experience. I know, it wasn't actually altogether that long ago. No. So, but yeah, it was, so I was um, nominated by a company and an external client um, for the Global Global Awards yeah. recognition for the BCI as a sort of, it was the best newcomer at the time. And I, um, it was mainly because of two things that were pulled out of the nomination. One was because I was the first person in my organization to deliver on the ISO 22301 oh, okay. internationally. Yeah. So I'd actually, I delivered it, I got certified and been checked out by the British Standards Institute um, in India and in the UK, and that involved a lot of work from scratch. It was a new organization of 2,000 people, six sites, and we had to have work air recovery solutions. Everything had to be documented, framework had to be set up, and they came in and checked it, client came in and checked it, they, to within an inch of my life. And I wrote about that journey in my, in my Blue Eyed BC book yeah. to show people what it's like to get certified. And then that, obviously, my Blue Eyed BC side, and, yeah. uh, and when I, what we talked about already. And um, yeah, it got, it got really, <coughs> at, the, at the point in time, because I divided the audience right down the middle, um, it got some serious notoriety and that's continued now, it's just got silly. <laughs> I think I'm about as viral as you can get in business continuity, which isn't as, isn't as exciting as it sounds. But you know, if you're heading that way and <coughs> you want to know, it's, it's doable, so. Yeah, I put a, um, a few days ago, I don't know if anyone's seen this, anyone's got me on LinkedIn, but I put up a picture of a donkey uh, as part of an yeah. event I'm doing, and that got nearly six thousand views. So just just for something as silly as eat all. So it's um, yeah, it was well, don't the underestimate the power of your network. Have you have a donkey? Well, yeah, and that, but you know, this is Luke we're talking about. So. Yeah, it was it was um, the award was fantastic. That's it was great. so humbling to get it, yeah. and um, I was still going through a lot of pain in the career as you do at the beginning. Yeah, it was so lovely to be validated and to. I put so much effort into four or five years to get to that point. Yeah, of course. And um, yeah, I really tough with it, and it's it's definitely helped my career. If you can get nominated, um, if you can get nominated and uh, get rightly rightly win the award, yeah. So, so it's, um, then yeah, that's just it. You just keep putting your name in the hat and yeah. uh, go for it. Yes, go. We've had some recent updates um, about you. Right. So congratulations, firstly, on being the first ever young FBCI. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is cool. It's so turned a few heads as It's probably where my voice is going from having that same <laughs> conversation. And now, is that turning heads because there's haters? Or... No, it was turning no. heads because... Um, you can probably cut this out if you want, but I'm going to say anyway. I have this analogy that I read from a comedian once that said, when you're in the New York gangs in the Bronx, he says, never approach the one white guy in that room because you never know what that white guy's done to earn their respect. And it's a similar way as a person. I'm a decade younger than most of the, the like the older, like the white males. Yeah. There's only one lady on the board. Yeah. Um, and there's def there's no mixed race, ethnicity, anything like that. And um, that hopefully that will change in, in due course. I certainly intend to champion that. But um, the, yeah, it was, <coughs> I, people are now, a little bit nervous about who's this guy? Who's this guy suddenly become a fellow? Who's this guy that's sort of out of te ten years earlier than anybody else? Don't you think though? But okay, it's really great that you've got this. It's an amazing, but it will inspire other younger people who have got that ten yeah. years plus. I mean, I know loads of people well, yeah, who could people. easily apply for it, and who just haven't. Yeah, I think it's important to realise that the the, the the BCI have just literally. Uh, reviewed the approach to this because it was a very different approach and when you look at it carefully actually there's a way in now and um, I, I've actually written, it just finished, I'm, I'm, I've got to push it out there, I've written two and a half thousand words on the journey and um, in, in Luke speak, in your usual sort of everyman uh, conversations, candidates ever <laughs> and uh, yeah it goes through my thought process and the actual end-to-end -to, -end to make it so I want people such as yourself that are <coughs> getting close to looking at yeah. this and saying, how can I do it? Because 
there's nothing new or unique or ahead of the game that I've done. Um, so apart from being proactive uh, and going back to what we talked about previously, yeah, I think there's um, it's it, the, the parameters have changed now. So it's less before they used to focus on your competencies and whether you're good at your job. Now they're assuming that you are good at your job. Yeah. You've already got your MBCI. You've done your portfolio. Let's talk about the real stuff, which is community contributions. Like you have hours of content of everything you're doing, so yeah. you'll be able to chalk that up in no time. Yes. But it is, it's, uh, yeah. it's 150 hours or thereabouts um, that you have to c- contribute um, with the last um, sort of 20, 30 hours in, um, uh, in the last 12 months. Okay. Video conf- like videos like this, yeah. speaking, speaking, writing blogs, yeah. events, that sort of thing. But um, it focuses more on your, what you do out in the community less than how many years you've got on the slate. Which makes it way more accessible to everybody. And easier, in a sense, because... Well, this is the debate. There'll be some discerning voices that say... And they won't say it officially, because I asked <laughs> it during the panel session. And I said, do you guys feel, because they're all FBCIs on the panel, do you guys feel that this dilutes the, the, the sort of grade a little bit because it's opening the door to people like me that were doing GCSEs when you were thinking about retirement? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, but that's it, their issue, isn't it? It's, it shouldn't be about traditionally okay there's older people 10 years older than you but it shouldn't be that case anymore because people are actually studying the subject so you studied it like for me I didn't study it and I came in by chance so actually you should have it quite rightly doesn't matter if you're 10 years younger if you're active yeah Yeah. I think I'm well I think one of the things that I'm interested in I mean to be fair to the BCI as well they've um, that everyone on the panel and anyone I've spoken to within part of that membership has explained that they're championing this. They've, they've changed it for a reason and to give us like a second wind because we were all sort of, where do we go now? What's the pathway? Yeah. What's the journey? And I've got to be honest, I mean, it is, um, like I said, the youngest youngest to have ever achieved it in the 25-year history. Yeah. It's huge. That for me, amazing. it's a big, big boost. And you get, you get a good buzz off it yeah. and you think, yeah, I, I really want to continue to contribute. I did a lot to get to this point, but yeah. I have more to give now. And people like yourself and a, a number of other people like you say that are with us but in the quiet majority that just that if they just went for it and I feel that they did experience the same thing and we could make something of it as a yeah, community definitely well congratulations thank you I think that is pretty awesome and lots of inspiration for our resilience pod viewers mm-hmm. um, to hear that and encourage you guys to, to do that because if Luke can do it I think and kind, and plus you're going to have a blog. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? It, I mean, it does. But do, do you know what? That's true. It's an award winner, and you know, considering mm. that you're actually giving people a platform that you're telling them how it's done. Well, you can tell how, how I've excuse. done it. Yeah, but there's no excuse not to, because this is what we're lacking in the industry: is other people's journey of how they've done it to then yeah. it might make it easier for everybody else there's so a gap there's a gap i would gap. love i would love nothing more if we could all do it maybe we do an anonymous sort of tale of woe or something yeah. we put it all onto a forum together and we can all have our own group therapy session perhaps and yeah so if um, you're interested then drop drop me and luke a private message <laughs> yeah that would be, that would be yeah okay along with getting your fpci it's this week has been crazy for Luke. Um, mm. Tell us about your recent achievement. Yes. So <laughs> I was elected by a selection of BCI members to represent them on the global board. So I'm a Amazing. global board director for them now. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. Again, not to bang the drum because one day I will be in the position, but I am considerably younger than everyone else yeah. on the board. Admittedly, I'm still male and white, which is, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I personally feel that it's, um, we have so much more work to do. And yet the demographic is, I, I feel there's a bubble in the membership yeah. community now coming upwards. And I feel that all I just need to do is, for my part, is to prick that bubble and to make as much as possible and to make uh, opportunities uh, for everybody. And I, I do think in the next sort of uh, two to three years, not least because I'm now representing on the board, but um, I, do, I do genuinely think we're just about to embark 
and a, a swathe of changes of uh, people that we see out in the industry. It's already starting to happen already. So I'm counting on you to make a more of a difference now in representing the millennials, yeah. Generation Z, oh, I'm, I'm X, whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah, but we're still millennials in that sense, and just changing the dynamics of it too because yeah. you're in that perfect position Definitely. and i guess if someone's watching and has ideas can they approach you a thousand percent yeah i mean um it's the the, the board from what i can gather because i don't know anything yet <laughs> is uh <coughs> always open to ideas but i think if i was in other people's positions i put myself in five six years ago i wouldn't have approached a board member and come up with an idea no it would have been terrifying. Yeah, that's true so um yeah and we, well, we go back to it if luke can do it anyone can do it and that's been the key theme throughout my entire career so far is to pitch myself against people that perhaps don't feel as confident to do what they need to do and uh, to break a few barriers yeah but i do think the um we are going to see some big movements i've i've i was said saying to you before we recorded I've done. Um, I've been an, an active participant or ad, uh, an, uh, advocating the Scottish Women in Technology via uh, uh, different forums up there, just trying to champion the, 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 the women in technology that I work with. Yeah. Uh, and and um, I'll be I'll be honest. They they've organised and emerged and done everything. But in the last couple of organisations I've worked in, um, some of them, some of the most sort of inspirational people I've met. Most of the inspirational people I've met have been women in the last sort of two to three years, oh, that's and awesome. um, they uh, that there's def- there's just a huge, quiet but large undertone of uh, way mixed demographics just right underneath this long line of white men. So it will change. It will, and we're excited, and I'm excited because obviously. Luke's my friend, but anyway. <laughs> so um, you, can, you can you get on there and do it with me. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll happily do that, and hopefully plenty we'll... to learn. Though I mean, yeah. it's no, I mean, it's one thing sort of blogging and being anonymous and, yeah. and have been a, dis, a sort of a disruptive voice in the industry. But then there's obviously yeah, the BCI now is nine and a half thousand members and a hundred uh, hundred countries around the world. Yeah. It's um, you have a part to play as a representative, and you have to take much more of a balanced view. It's not just about what's in passion now in you. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a few right. things that I'm really passionate about. One is the sort of the, the diversity and what mm-hmm. we're trying to achieve. Um, this is before I've even had a conversation with any any board position. Yeah. Um, I have a development pathway from student right through to fellow. I I, I want to look at that. Um, absolutely, and I also want to look at. Um, sort of agile uh, sort of a philosophy within the organisation, how can we as a membership body, not just on the organisation itself, but as a community, how we sort of pivot and change to new ideas, such as wonderful uh, vlogging experts and self, self-made people that have create, created some great content. Uh, we need to be able to move faster on that, and it's a way of doing that in a balanced way so we're not championing the wrong content, the wrong of people. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a funny... Um, it's going to be a huge learning curve over the next three years for me, and no doubt I'll be able to, within certain realms, write about it. But it's definitely a huge learning. Well, we'll get you back on for another interview. Yeah, I look in back. A, yeah, I look, look back. Like grey hair, grey This beard. time next year. Yeah. Uh, I want. We will. Some of the battle scars. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. It's great to have uh, a younger voice on. Yeah. Um, which oh. makes a, a difference, um, at, at least. And, mm. and that's what we're looking at. So congratulations. Thank you. Cheers. I'm really excited about this because, obviously, I like to ask everybody what their current favourite book is. And I asked Luke to bring it all the way from Glasgow uh, to London, and he has. So, Luke, what is your current favourite book? It's not my own book. I didn't, not the one I wrote myself. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, segue from talking about inspirational women, actually. Um, I've had, in my career, I've had, some, I've had some really, really strong female leaders in my life. Okay, yeah. um, more, actually, than men, actually. The vast majority of my management so have been strong, strong females. Um, yeah. Maybe I've gravitated towards that myself, perhaps. Um, but it's um, something that's just become part of my career when I look back. And, and then also going back to what we talked about, about breaking in and being proactive. Yeah. The, 
um, the challenge is, is you go into a room, it's absolutely terrifying you go to a conference or a speaking event and there's like 40 people that all look like 40 plus, or in the big <laughs> conference events, there's 400 people. They all look like they know each other. They all look like they know yeah, a lot. Yeah. Everyone's trying to pretend to be a certain way. And you, how do you navigate through that to create some sort of relationship and then go from there? And uh, I just didn't know how to speak to any of them. And um, I just literally... Where you start, you have to start because yeah. someone like myself is a candid. There's a and sometimes it, you can sort of wave over saying the wrong thing if you okay. speak as much as you do. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm chatting quite freely with you just now, but it's it does it's become a sort of muscle memory now in practice of how to behave. And one of the books that I got was um, straight off of Google, but it ended up being actually one of the bestsellers uh, just by chance. Is how to speak to anyone. Uh, it's this, uh, this lady called Leal. Oh, okay. Uh, she's fascinating, a American woman who's an entrepreneur in the States in a male-dominated environment. And uh, she provides, in this particular book, I believe it's 92 ways of talking to people, which is my Bible. Is it? Uh, it's, um, okay. I mean, this is, this is, this is not well-read because it's my gift to you. To is have. It? Yes. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Thank she, you. No, no, it's fine. It's, it's, oh, you how will, kind. I know you will appreciate it. Yeah, because I do. Um, you just getting into the oh. first few chapters. Um, there's a couple of my favourites. Uh, they sort of being a word detective. She says okay. uh, when you're at parties and conferences and networking. He says everybody wants to talk about themselves. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And so you all you have to do is just sort of attentively listen for the first sort of three, four minutes and you can pick out a word which they subconsciously rolls off their tongue. So for instance, you're stood at a, um, a bus stop and you say an opening is like, oh, the weather's bad today, so it's not good for the flowers. Ding, are you into gardening? And I, uh, do you have your own garden? That sort of thing. It's okay. an opener and all of a sudden that, and it teaches you very handy, well-trodden, uh, difficult situations and to, to deploy these techniques um, I highly recommend it to anybody that's, uh, that's out there that feels like sort of choked up and nervous like heavens, I definitely felt like that and um, and the more I read about her as an individual as well beyond that she's um, she's self self-made woman huge entrepreneurial background with uh, sort of just this huge like sales type male dominated ego space yeah. and she's just she's just weaved away through it and she's achieved that among many other things i couldn't recommend it more i'd be interested to see what you think Gosh. out of it how to talk to anyone it feels a bit disingenuous when no, you say i love it, it. thank you it really uh, thank you so much for gifting this to me that's You're welcome. very sweet the first part and i'm definitely going to read it now yeah i think i'm going to read it now after well not now but yeah so thank you no, use, use it on me in the next couple of days I'll be, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, not some sort of hypnotic thing by the way I don't want it to feel like that it's, uh, it's just yeah. um, it just takes when you see these techniques it just takes the edge off oh, yeah. and you suddenly become much more authentic you know the questions that you need to ask people yeah. and then it, it rolls the conversation up it's a process so great if you if any of you have read it do let me know and do let Luke know what you thought because yeah. that's what it's all about. So another great book to go on the reading list. How awesome is that? Thank you. So where can our Resilience Podcast find you? Like everyone else finds everyone. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, connected to Reno already. So if you're already connected there or if you're in the wider world, I'm all over the BCI now. Uh, yes. So you can find me. But do... Um, uh, do reach out to me. Do, do, I do have one sort of caveat. I don't appreciate, like I'm sure no one does. I'm starting to find that a lot more now. A lot of just cold invites with no sort of precursor, having never met the oh, person before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, just a small in. And if it's somebody that I know that cold, best, like cold invites me, I tend to go back and say, why is it taking us this long to reach out? And, so like, what, and um, then we have the conversation. We're going to connect. Let's actually connect. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. But yeah, just catch me on LinkedIn and I'm all over it. LinkedIn All-Star, it says. Is that you a LinkedIn All-Star, I I think so, yeah. 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 All We're All-Stars, yeah. <laughs> you wanted me to ask you, why not a, why not a career in modelling? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to do that stuff? Yeah. Okay, listen, I'm <laughs> so Luke actually wanted to be a model, didn't he? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, uh, train train model, hand model. Hand model, hair, beard model. You could do a beard model. Kind wow, of thing, yeah, yeah, you should see him about. Uh, my brother calls me a... You remember the game Guess Who? Uh, yes, it's like yeah. a really old like, game where you have to say, is the person wearing glasses? Is the yeah, person beard? yeah. He says I'm a Guess Who character because uh, <laughs> when I joined the Navy, I had a, a skinhead and I had like no glasses and no beard. And now I'm, a, like, I'm incognito now. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that was kind of scary if you say that. Uh, very, very different. But no, no, I'd, uh, I've, I did see there was, um, there's been a couple of times with this, we're with, with doing this um, sort of profile and networking and everything where I've walked in, particularly for organisations I've worked in. I've walked into a building in London and I've seen my picture on the wall and I'm okay. That's weird. Yeah, and that's sort of. Um, as a sort of a junior professional doing well in their organisation. Yeah. And, and I remember when I challenged it to say, this feels a bit wrong, I just didn't realise this was a thing. Actually, it was, um, I'd already signed up and said I was happy with it, but I'd just forgotten. <laughs> so like a couple of years later, I've walked into a building and I see a picture of myself and go, ah, oh, interesting. So there you go, if he wasn't a resilience expert. So technically I'm a model, right? If I've done that. Uh, Anyway. I, I don't know if one picture counts, but yeah, sure, I mean, yeah, can, we'll argue we'll that. You can, you can take a selfie and become a model, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so there you go, Luke's <laughs> secret career. Let, let him just stick to the... Yeah, the live, live the dream. I think I'll get back to my anonymous days. <laughs> no, I think he's exposed now. We've got, we've got you on the pod, so there is no going back. Anyway, thank you thank once you. again for coming on the pod. Yeah, thank you for doing this as well. This is... Uh, I, I genuinely believe... In, uh, in what in what Rini's doing, I have done for a long time. You're so you're so innovative in what your Thank ideas you. are, and I say this like when you're when you're not here. Actually, <laughs> I say that you've got um, even back in the days when you had that low to no budget space. Yeah. You sort yeah. of some, the way you look at things, it's um, very creative, and this is um, this is just another example of that. And I recommend anybody that knows me, if um, she comes out asking to speak to you, uh, get on board, or I'll be uh, I'll be having words. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Until next time, see you. <laughs> Guys, welcome back to the pod. You are in for a treat today because I am bringing to you a friend of mine who has started off his career in the military and then once he left invested so much of his energy on personal resilience and has more degrees than I can count on both of my fingers. He is the MD and founder of Squared Apples. He has a PhD in organisational resilience and you've probably heard of his OR organizational resilience model. He is truly dynamic and engaging and inspirational. My friend Aaron Grace. Hey guys, welcome to the Resilience Pod. Today we have someone called Aaron Gracie. Hello! Before we start and before I quiz you, everyone who comes on the pod uh -huh. has to tell us and flip through this mood book. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this question twice. So yep. one at the start. So how are you feeling before this interview? Right. And then how you feel afterwards. Okay. So over to have you. Have a look. Fingers does it have? Crossed. Does it have really petrified in it? <laughs> He's not, obviously. <laughs> but yeah. So I flick through. Think I find the one I like. I think it's that one. That just sums it <laughs> up. Okay, that's great. So he's mischievous. Why? Because um, I like to not take things too seriously, enjoy it, because that then allows you to look at things from different angles. Okay, like that. Okay, so at the end, we'll ask you this again. Okay. And you can still feel the same, but hopefully you have something else that... Sounds like a plan. Well. So, yeah, a good one, guys. What was your very first job? My very first job was... Well, that's a, tr a tricky one, I don't think. That's not that long ago. Um, actually, it was a tailor's assistant. What? So, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. So, ha ha working in a, a, tailor, a, a tailor's in Cheltenham. I did that for about two years. Wow. Really interesting job because quite a lot of personal interaction and actually people trusting you to get things right because we really do the, the tailoring for weddings, funerals, you know, major events for them. So, relying on us to get that right. Because actually, then they go forward and they, you know, they're wanting to look their best on that occasion, and yet they're putting that responsibility into my hands. He was a tailor's assistant. 
Who would have thought? Yeah, hence, hence, yeah, hence. Yeah, look, look at yeah. <laughs> nice voice, Kate. So, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So, moving on from being that your first job, how did you come into the whole resilience sphere? So, resilience sphere was an interesting, interesting journey because I went from, you know, from the tailor's assistant then um, going in, in, into the army. Um, spent, okay. you know, yeah. you know, spent four years, four years as a soldier. Um, so from that, I actually saw the having gone through the process from entering in as, as you know, junior soldier through to seeing what pressures, what you know, challenges they were faced with. Now, after four years, I was then um, advised to go forward to be commissioned as an army officer. Okay. So from that, I went forward uh, in 1998, became an army officer, and then for the next you know, 16, 16 odd years, ran the role of looking after people, uh, people and doing some interesting jobs and visiting interesting places, and actually. The four years that I had as a soldier helped me see it from a very, from a slightly different angle to the, okay. to, to my compatriots, because I understood the pressures that the soldiers were going under, yeah. so I could relate with them. It also meant that understanding the, the stress, you know, the, the tribulations, the troubles they were experiencing, allowed me to try and angle things and, and look at the person rather than just just the job to okay. look at both hands. So from that side, house, that's where the resilience element came in. Initially, it's looking at the personal resilience, but then building the resilience of the team and the capability. In the last uh, six years of my time in the military, having uh, you know, deployed to Iraq and being involved in setting up, okay. you know, setting yeah. up the, the, um, the, the first free elections in, in Basra, and having to do all the security around that, is looking at how do we rebuild a failing state. So now I'm, I'm looking at resilience from a personal side of the house, but also right at the grand strategic level. Okay. Yeah. So having, having thought from that side, I, I didn't you know, step back and thought, actually, now, could we take the same ideology, the same approach to help what we do for both a person and for an from a, a country, and do it for an organisation? You know, and that's where then my, my, my thought process started to go, and I, I ex started on my education journey. Um, from Which that side, we'll go into <laughs> in a minute, because that's a whole different. So, your educational journey. Um, we were talking earlier, and you said it's, it started quite late for you. So tell the viewers just a little bit about that before you t before you go into kind of what you've achieved since then. Okay, so the education journey, yes. So GCSE and A level, I, I kind of didn't take it very seriously at all. Um, so GCSEs, you know, one would say that I could uh, I may have severely underperformed, um, and as <laughs> do, I was more interested in sports um, than I was in education. And then for my A-levels, I went across to the, to the Army Sixth Form College, okay, mm. uh, Welbeck College. And again, that was the idea for those going into a technical profession within the military. You go there and get the technical technical grades. Uh, I came out with, I think, um, a, set of, a D and E and a few flat, flat zeros. Um, so again, the quality of education, which was offered to me, and the quality of education that, that I accepted were two completely different things. Okay. Yeah. I was a very good sports person. You know, I was in the cross-country team and, involved okay. and enjoyed all that, but the education... Okay. Wasn't my forte at that time in life, you know? And so from that, it was then, you know, where do I go from there? So I think at the age of 38, 38? 2008, 36, I then looked at myself and I said, if I was to walk out of the military now, what could I give industry? Uh, and the answer was not a lot. What we identified was that, you know, maybe the military, the, my military background and skills and, and understanding were not translated very, very well into industry. So that I then looked at, well, what could I do with my life? You know, and I set myself on to a very compressed education journey. So I started initially um, <laughs> on, a, on a, an, MA, um, an MA course on something nice and light, you know, international politics, strategic relations and modern warfare. Okay, this, this is his version of light, <laughs> yeah. doing politics, okay. okay. So start, start all that through King's College in London. Um, I was two thirds away through that and I, I then started a BA honours four-year program with Bournemouth University in international business and management. Um, so I finished the, the MA and then was two-thirds of the way through the, uh, the BA and I started to do a PGC as well because at the same time I was teaching, teaching um, okay. with the military as well. So and as I completed the, um, the BA honours degree and I came to the end of my PGC, I then launched myself onto an MSc in strategic leadership and executive management. Um, so that was, you know, that was a, a slightly compressed window. As I then left the military, I then um, set myself up and thought, well, actually, I've got this amount of research behind me. I've also now just achieved you know, a level seven coaching and mentoring qualification from, okay. from the ILM. What else can I do with it? So I decided to embark on a five-year part-time PhD. And away I went. 
Um, and the last two years, I've also supported that PhD through doing an MSc in change management as well. Okay. So that's why I'm now. So I've finally just finished the MSc in change wow. management. Okay. <laughs> and I've just completed the Viva for my PhD. That's yeah. awesome. So that's in the, the education journey as well. It is. And it's really inspiring that you started at the age of 36. 36, yeah. Yeah, 36. Uh, and that's not that long ago. <laughs> no, it's not that. Uh, it's longer, but yeah. <laughs> it okay. But it just goes to show, and, and to our viewers as well, that it's not about age and you can do anything. And if this man can do it, um, and he, I mean, I can't even count the number of degrees he's got on my fingers. So if you can do it, I think anyone can do it. Yeah, and I think it's just it's accepting that you know understanding what you, what the capability of yourself is. Yeah, you know, stretch, okay, you yeah. know, stretching yourself, but at the same time knowing what the art of the possible is, what you need to do, how you can do it. And I think the key thing for me was I've been really lucky about is the degrees and, and the the education path you know path I've picked has mirrored quite well with the jobs I'm doing. Okay. You know, so the academic research is supporting the practical application of it, and therefore I can demonstrate the research in action. I think sometimes academics struggle to you know, demonstrate the research in, in industry yeah. and likewise industry struggles to take academia seriously because it's done within a, a bubble. So being able to actually puncture that bubble and apply knowledge into a practical environment you know, will actually justify the reason behind it. And, and so doing that and what I'm hearing is that it, it's, it's also important to look at what job you're doing and then pick the appropriate higher education. To Absolutely. Or at least you know, have a vision of where you want to go. Okay. And then with doing that, pick something that's going to help you with it. You know, maximize, you, you've got a limited amount of time. Maximising the time and your resources gives you the best chance of success. That's fantastic. That's inspiring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Aaron, you are the founder and managing director of your own company called Squared Apples. Yes, and, and, and an interesting concept. So, so why Squared Apples? So the whole point with Squared Apples was you know, doing all the research and, and, um, and the, the stuff I was doing behind it and, and looking at the personal resilience. It was how would I, A, protect it all, because mm -hmm. actually it was going into quite a niche area at the time, but B, how do I then take all of my knowledge and translate it to put it into action? And the reason for birth of Squared Apples. And the whole idea, the whole strap line squared up was is resilience through leadership. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things you know I, I noticed because uh, as oh, it's been part of my my work within the uh, the military for the last couple of years was working with teams, rewriting the um, resilience standard for the MOD, um, actually looking at how teams prepared themselves going out into operations, um, and then part of my research is is really digging in deep into what went wrong and why. Okay. And realizing a lot of those areas where decisions were being made. Um, at senior levels were not um, being either dragged through right down to the bottom of or applied properly. So impacting on the resilience capability. And that's when you know, the, the whole concept of Squared Apples was, how do I take the knowledge that I've learned from, mil from the military time, working with industry, and then develop it to deliver something that actually can enhance you know, industry resilience and capability. Um, and so Squared Apples was born. And today, everyone, um, Aaron is gonna show us some of the resilience training tools from Squared Apples that he's made and yeah. the idea that it's your idea these are all yes. your ideas these are all my <laughs> tiles, as we say and he's got the prototypes with him today so I'm really privileged and excited that you're going to be able to show us yeah I'm really glad some of these works okay. so stay tuned well concept but one that actually helps people focus on on emotions and how they can impact on each other so the concept here, and if, I, and if I give you this little pack, and we'll talk you through this pack. So the idea with these yep. is okay. that there are, 40, there are 48 emotions on, on each of these cards. Okay. And each card has um, a rating for either the emotional intensity, so how, how the emotion would feel, the impact on yourself, the social acceptability of the emotion, and also the impact on others. Okay. And the, con the idea being is that you know, emotions are neither positive nor negative. Society has deemed which it sees as a positive or negative emotion. So true. Yeah. yeah. The idea of an emotion is to cause a reaction within you to respond to an external or an internal stimuli. So then, if you're in danger, it will create something to make you make you move. Hence, emotion, and the concept behind it. So what we took is we looked, and these again we're looking at um, emotions and helping school children and you know, stu you know students going from you know, in junior school and the senior and the university to start building an understanding of an emotional language. 
and being unafraid to talk about emotions. Okay. And what we found out is that students will then start talking about the card when actually they're relating to themselves. But the card gives them something to talk about. Okay. So it takes away the, the, personal, the personal okay. part. Yeah. So the idea being, if you wanted to play just the game, you'd pick one of your cards and then you'd pick one of those four values and you know say what score you got. Okay, so okay. should we try it out Yeah, then? go and try it out. I, I have okay. no idea what I'm getting myself <laughs> in for because Aaron has been putting me through my paces with all these games. So might as well go into the last uh -huh. one. Okay, so I've got some different coloured versions here. Yeah. Um, what do I, so what do I do? So all you got to do is out of those four values, very, very much like a bit like um, top trumps or something like that. So the four values there, you pick one of your values from the, one of the four boxes and say what score you've got in that box. I will then say what score I've got in that box. And if my score is higher than yours, I take your card. Okay, so so the first one says shameful. Okay, so that's that's the emotion. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, each of them has got a little graphic as well to try and relate to. The, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like those. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is, is picking one of those, any one of those four values you've got in the card itself. So either emotional intensity, impact on you, social acceptability, or impact on others. Pick which one you want. Which one you think is going to give you the best chance of getting my card off me? Or yeah. Impact on you. Okay, and what's your score now? Fifty. So I've got one hundred and thirty-eight. So the very so I would take your card. Okay. So I got a higher value in you. So okay. the idea here is. Oh, okay. okay. So the idea for for for, for the, the junior or the juniors in, in school is I've created a game, and that game is something that they can play with and relate without actually having to concern themselves really about getting on the understanding about the detail of the emotion. But actually, it then allows the teacher, when they're actually finished playing the game, to talk about, okay, so why do you think, for example, being, you know, this emotion had a better impact on you than the one, than this emotion? So it generates an element of discussion. And the numbers on here. So, mm -hmm. guys, um, you can see some numbers on there. Which one do I pick? The highest or it's up to me? It's totally up to you. Okay. So let, it's your choice. Okay, so let's... Um, Let's play a few more then, because I, I I still don't know if I understand it enough. So let's do, so I'm going to show Aaron that, so he's not going to look up mm -hmm. what he is. And okay, so, and then you show the, the audience. So I've got work. that one. Okay, so, so shall I start then? Yep. So I've got confident. Okay. Um, and so then I have to pick one of the four boxes. Yep. Uh, social acceptability. Uh-huh. 160. Okay, so I've got that and my social acceptability is 115. Indicate, and the whole point about that is, it is more socially acceptable to be confident than it is to be vulnerable. So there, so it's now suddenly we can now then lead that into conversation. So the teacher within, within, within school can say, well, why do we think it is more acceptable to be seen as being confident in, in, within the classroom than it is to be vulnerable? And that can then lead into discussion around emotions and actually, being vulnerable is key to being authentic. Yeah. So vulnerable means I'm authentic. And I see leadership, good management, engagement, team dynamics is all about being yourself and being honest with others. So yes, you can be confident, but it's not. It's no problem being vulnerable either. And so these, these. okay, let's do one more. Before, okay. And while we're picking them, so you pick one this time. Uh -huh. It's it's not just good for kids, but it's also good for adults. And like especially in the profession that we're in, we are helping, we're spending all our work time helping our organisations do all this resilient activity, yeah. but we're forgetting about ourselves. And I think this, this is probably a really interesting way to communicate when it, you find it hard. It is. And actually, yeah. you know, we, we use this for the change curve as well. When you start indicating where you see, would see these emotions in yourself or within stakeholders, you can then start talking about what activities would you do to mitigate those, especially when you start getting into the more you know, socially unacceptable. Okay. Emotions. Right, let's do one more. Okay, one more. So I'll go first this time. Yep. So I'm picking this one. Okay. And I'm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I'm going to pick one that's. Uh... It's interesting. So I'm going to pick this one, which I'm not, but this is going to be interesting. Okay. Okay. Right. So I go first. I'm going to impact on me as loathing I've got. Oh, okay. okay. It's, it's 60. Okay. Um, I've got, um, so impact 
on so, you. Yeah. So you did impact on me, I did impact oh, so, so, on you. So impact, impact, impact on, on you. you. So, okay. yeah, impact so, on so, you. so I can do the same one. Yeah, you do the same so one. So let's do the same one. I, okay. So I've got impact on you, 65. Okay, so you win. So you get but that. But the interesting, we picked similar um, categories of emotions without mm -hmm. realising. So interesting here, what you've got is we've got both you know, rage and um, loathing. Impact on you, so the fact I have on me or on me, is the fact it's very low. And that's the fact it's now taking away from your own personal credibility from yourself. So, so the impact on you is actually ouch, you know, because actually having either rage or loathing is not very benefit, beneficial to me. No. Uh -huh. And so suddenly it starts stripping away yourself. And that's what we'll highlight. And, the, and the, I've put this one down, but we have a number of other you know, different emotions you look at. And, and the concept behind it was you can play the player as a game. So actually I'm seeking to get all the cards off you. That's yeah. one way. The other way is you, you see there are different you know, colours. So actually you can play the idea of you've got to get a, you know, one or two families of the, uh, the emotions. So you can trade off and you can try and actually, I win if I get two families before you do. And that's why I was putting those colours as well. Okay. So it's created a game. But also the other way of doing it when you're working with adults is that you pick one and then you can discuss what that emotion does for you or for the individuals who work in pairs. And you can talk about what would be what activities would you see which would create that emotion? How would you mitigate it? So there's a number of ways you can use this, both with, with children and with adults. Pretty awesome. Yeah. What's it called again? This one's called Emotional Stars. And this is available yeah. on your website too. It is isn't it, yes. And it's not just for children, it's for adults too. Um, and I think it's really important if you're going on the personal resilience journey for self self-reflection. It is, really. yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've had num num actually quite a few parents buy these to play with their children. Okay. Because actually helps the communication. Maybe I can play that with my husband. <laughs> 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 See what emotional level field we're on. So yeah, this is really good. Thank you for the demonstration. That's okay. It's really cool. Thank you. Books, I love them. Uh-huh. Have a little library going on and I like to colour code them, but that's a different story. Um, and you can always learn something from books, mm -hmm. obviously, but you can also learn something from what other people read. So I've asked you to bring your favourite book. Yeah. And not only has he brought one, but he's bought... <laughs> I brought three. Yeah. Because it's, it's never that simple with Aaron, okay? So if you're asking for one, he'll give you more. So, you know, he's put me through my paces with three games today. Now he's going to put you all through your paces with three books. And I'm actually really excited and curious to know what you've picked and why. So the, the first one. Okay, so the first one you know, is, is Frank Ledwidge, you know, Losing Small, uh, losing small Wars. Uh, you know, why, did I, why do I like this one? Because it's a real honest appreciation. Uh, review of how the British military have operated in the last 15 to 20 years on, on military operations, what went well, what went wrong. And because he's doing it from an objective point of view, it is quite brutal, it's quite honest. You know, it, it pulls out a number of layers of where things have worked well mm. and where things didn't work. Why is that important to me? Because actually understanding what's not worked well and how to address it is where you start building your resilience. Okay. Learning your lessons. The second one was actually, is this one, you know, from battle, uh, from board, battle room to boardroom. Actually written by, uh, oh. by, uh, by uh, the, one of the professors I've worked with at the Defence Academy in, in Swindon. Okay. And he's actually taken a lot of lessons from the military and said, how can we convert them into the boardroom? Okay. Because if you, now, if you walk into industry, you'll hear things like wargaming, strategizing. Yeah. Okay? They're using a lot of military language, sometimes not understanding where it's come from and how to use it. And you suddenly find that when people talk about strategy, they're not talking about the high level 10 to 15 year plan. They're talking about the thing they're doing for the next three or four weeks and the confusion around the whole concept. So that's why I've got this. Again, a very interesting understanding and very powerful when it comes to change management. Okay. Because a lot of things he talks about here is how military have looked at doing decision making, questioning, interrogation of evidence and intelligence to help them plan five, five, 10, 16 months ahead. Okay. That's we should be thinking about doing it. So that's that one. Okay, so and remind us what it's called so again. So that is from Battlefield to Boardroom. Okay. And who's it's it Ivan, y Ivan Yardley and, and a few others. And the third one, the third one is A War from the Ground Up. Uh, okay. Now, there's two, two reasons why I like this one. First one is it looks at you know, military as, as politics because actually war is just an extension of politics. Yes. Yeah, and that's you know, from Clausewitz, who was a, who was seen as the grandfather of, of military thought. In the, in the, he was a Prussian general in, in the time of Napoleon. The other one is this is written by Emil Simpson, who him and I used to 
you know, knock ideas off each other and talk about things when we were serving. Oh, really? Yeah, so okay, Emil has actually okay. taken all his knowledge and actually demonstrated that we can actually write a book about it and help, you know, business. So the concept, when I saw he had done this, this is one of the things that actually spurred me on to do my PhD. Oh, wow. I see, actually, okay. you know, there's a lot of knowledge that, you know, you know, military officers, people have through, you know, either research, understanding, putting it into practice, that we tend to forget and we tend to not understand why business would actually utilise that from our th point of view as well. So they're my three books and what actually why I like them. Okay, and interesting that they all have one thing in common, which is war related. And that's obviously because it's your background. It is, but also I think um, when you look at, you know, we, we as humans learn an awful lot when we're put under pressure and under a, a constantly dynamic changing situation, yeah. which is what warfare gives you. Yeah. You know, you'll see the worst in humanity, but at the same time, you know, when you look at places, you'll see the best of humanity as it either works to, to, uh, to address problems which are happening around the world. Okay, so great. There's three books, so we've got not just one, but three. <laughs> so pick your pick your best one. So out oh, wait, actually, question. Uh -huh. Out of those three, which is your most favourite? Most favourite one is the Battlefield Boardroom. Okay, Cause, okay. Because that shows how um, the knowledge that I have, I have obtained in a previous career can be dragged forward into a new career. Okay, so I'm going to buy that then. Um, because it's I'm good. buying every book that everyone comes in and recommends uh -huh. to read and so that's why I asked so Battlefield okay. to Boardroom yep and that's good because it has a lot of lessons for resilience okay there you go that's the book to get out of all of them and you can buy all of them if you want but if you've read any of these then let me know and let Aaron know because it will be good to compare notes especially with this one <laughs> so we're talking about resilience mm -hmm. what does resilience mean to you professionally and personally so let's start with let's start with personal okay so what does that mean how would you yeah so that's because with that it's um for me it's the ability to keep going um yeah. but understanding your limits Okay, so, yeah. so, that, so, so, I will have a certain level of personal resilience. I've got to be, I've got to a know when my my bucket is full, but b when my bucket is empty. Okay. Because when my bucket is empty, it's, that's when I need to a stop, or b look around within my social network, within my friends and family, and go, I'm empty, help. Okay. okay. And that's you know, so some people say, yeah, personal resilience is about going forward and bouncing back to where I am and that that ability to keep going. You know, we all, you know, and some people say, let's look at the. Um, the, uh, the recent test match, and not the one she's going on, but the one you know, he, he, um, Steve Smith hitting hit the throat by a cricket ball. We actually applauded him for coming back on again. You know, it's good sign of strength and resilience. Well, actually, later on, you know, the following day, he's, he's off the pitch with, with concussion. So sometimes your personal resilience is, I know when I've hit my limit, and I know when I need to stop, and I know when to ask for help. So that's where, where the personal resilience is. Strong enough to keep going, but knowing, having the knowledge to stop. I like that. Hmm? Yeah, basic. And we forget them. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah okay. we, we drive ourselves forward sometimes too far. Yeah. What about professionally? So professionally with resilience, and if I look at organisational resilience and the wider side of it, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a people-focused um, event. Because if I look at this, and again, this comes back to my, my military days, I can have as many systems and technological advanced stepping stones I've got. If I take my people away, I'm taking the person on the loop, therefore I'm taking the decision maker away. So actually, my resilience as an organisation relies on my people. Because mm -hmm. if everything stops, and you've only got to look, if you, if you take an example of you know, 2001 when the World Trade Centres were hit, yeah. you know, a number of organisations recovered, not through the technological systems, because actually we find out quite a few of them failed because of the damage done, but because of the, resi the, the resilience levels of their people. The people were able to adapt and overcome and you know, you know, play outs, you know, outside the normal parameters expected of business because it went above and beyond. You know, for the fellow human. Um, so I think that's key. Is for business, it is the understanding and looking after of your people. You know, it's got to be yeah. people, it's got to be people centric. Yeah. You know, technology, your systems, yeah, absolutely, they support it. They 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 power you forward. But your people are the ones who give you that basic agility to make you go when the when the things get really Pull tough. Newbies into the industry. Be honest. Be yourself, um, and approach it with a questioning mind. Um, and the reason I say that is. You know, if you look, a number of people in, in the resilience sector have been come from emergency services background, military background, because that's how the organisation has recruited, that's how the whole industry is recruited. Um, you, you now see quite a drive for, of, of younger professionals coming through, you know, Buckingham University, Covenant University, who start looking at resilience and emergency planning and stuff like that. 
if you're unwilling or unable to step outside the box, then you're unable or unwilling to be able to identify those black swan events that may knock you sideways. So, you know, unfortunately, enterprise risk management, all normal risk management, will identify those you know, high-risk issues and will have, have the ability to identify our low-risk issues. So we'll, we'll not do much against them to treat them. The key thing is those little things that sit in the middle which are very you know, high, you know, high damaging but very low probability of happening are the ones that slip underneath, underneath the radar. But yeah, you know, they are the ones that could really knock us sideways. So if you're coming in with a, with a question in mind, well, what about this or what about that or why do we do this or let's help me understand this, then you will help build resilience even just by identifying things that people haven't thought about. Yeah, and, you know, we, you know, and we've trained a lot of people you know, to try and solve problems. But sometimes we don't allow them to go away and think about what problems are they asked to be are they being asked to solve. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you're gonna if you're gonna you know bring in your talent for your your, your people who can think outside the box, then you've got to let them think outside the box. There's no point in buying someone and then putting them in this box and say think like this because that's the way the rest of the organisation thinks. Okay. Yeah. If you want someone to come in and, and red team the situation or pull it apart or really get stuck in and be un, and be unafraid to challenge the senior levels, build a question culture. That's where you only build your resilience. Uh, okay, Aaron. So, where can the Resilience Pod viewers find you? Okay, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, I'm on there. You can also find um, Squared Apples. If you put it in Squared Apples UK, we're, we're, we're on their web as well. So, the website's set up. And actually, we use that. So, you know, the tools you've seen today are on there. But we also have um, a number of research papers on there as well. So, okay. as, as an organization, we write research. There's a, there's a Resilience blog running on there as well. Um, and actually, we also do quite a bit of stuff with the armed forces. So we, we support a lot of the armed forces charities. So again, so we have that on there. So you can find us there as well. So we're in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Another thing is, you know, we, we Squared Up is currently working with the Resilience Association as well. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, a not-for-profit not organization yep. which we're setting up to try and build resilience capability, knowledge, understanding, and bringing academic and professional people together. So again, you can find, find us either by ourselves or underneath the Resilience Association as part of them as well. Thank you. So go and go and look him up, guys. He's worth worth knowing. <laughs> so we have come to our the end of this interview for now. But guys, it's going to be a part two because there's, there's literally uh, we don't have enough hours in the day to interrogate this man. Um, who is genius. How he's flipping through the mood book now. So we're going to see how you're feeling at the end of this interview session. Um, Right, so I've got, I've gone from, I've gone from mischievous, as we saw them start. Yeah. And I actually think, and afterwards now, I quite bouncy. And what does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so actually, you know, quite, you know, yeah, th- this session's been quite fun. Okay, that's um, good, yeah. You know, and from the bounce side, high, so, you, know, you know, I'll leave this, you know, quite G'd up, you know, had a good time, actually enjoyed the session. And going from the mischievous bit, which we've seen because I've put Rina through her paces, yeah. you know, I knew when I brought the games out that yeah. this might be slightly yeah. different to a normal yeah. a normal interview. And actually now I'm even having having felt like I've had good fun and enjoyed it. Oh, and actually, so that's why it's the bouncy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're bouncy. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and that's okay. sharing your insights to everyone and inspiring everyone and sharing your inventions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because you don't get them out there. And we look forward to having you again. Love to. On the next pod. Love to come across. Um, and let's see what see what a challenge he's going to throw my way in. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those interviews. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank um, you for inviting me.